0: Hi, this is Dr. Richard Benton.
1: And this is Father Mark Bulos of the Bible as Literature podcast.
0: If you enjoy this podcast, please consider a small donation by pledging as little as 25 cents per
1: episode. That's just $1 a month. Your gift will help us improve production quality and will go a long way to contribute to the work of the Ephesus School. Please visit patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Bible to offer your support. Thank you. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, And this is Dr. Richard Benton. Welcome to the seventh episode. Yes, we have reached our seventh episode of the Bible as Literature podcast. In today's discussion, we take on the concept of function, and we begin with a review of how it's applied in word study and defining the meaning of words, and move on to see what the implications are for human behavior and discerning how different behaviors and different actions relate to the biblical tradition. So there's a word that comes up often when we're talking. It's a common word in the English. English language, but we use it in a particular way. That word is function. You'll often hear when we're discussing scripture, you'll hear myself or Dr. Benton say, oh yes, that's functional, or this is how it functions. I think it's important that we give folks a sense of the context for our usage of this term, Mm -hmm. the way that we use it. Say something about what the word functional means and how we use it when we're talking about biblical studies. When we say functional, oftentimes a longer way
0: we'll say this is how does it function in the context. Context is very important for understanding what functional means. So, for example, if you look up in the dictionary the word to, to, it'll give you a whole list of potential meanings, 20 meanings for this word. Now, does that mean that every time you are reading along in a newspaper and you see the word to, you can go into the dictionary and pick whichever one you want? No. You won't be able to understand what to means unless you know what the context is. So, what we're saying is there's a word and you can imagine what it means, But your imaginary meaning will not necessarily fit in the context. And so there's always this interplay between what a word means and how
1: it functions in the context. Okay, so then in terms of word study, when we talk about how something functions, we really mean how something is used in a particular context. But when we extend, we often also, going beyond just terminology and and word study and definition, beyond Mm -hmm. just dismissing this false idea that a meaning is essential to a term, which is a kind of legalism that just doesn't, it breaks down in literature, obviously. We also talk about function in terms of human behavior, example that comes to mind is one that i quote often where jesus refers to peter as satan because peter had made a statement that set him in opposition to the crucifixion which is the gospel of the crucified lord you know trying to block jesus on the road to jerusalem to his passion and jesus says of course get behind me satan it's a very famous verse now i think it's intuitive even to modern readers that peter is not an ontological satan and by ontological i mean someone who is essentially something right his identity, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better word, but that Peter is behaving as Satan. Right. For Christ, it's enough. If you behave as Satan, you are functionally Satan. And so then that raises the question, just like words can be functional, are there certain behaviors, character types, certain actions in scripture that have a specific function, such as divine or satanic or apostolic or whatever? Right. No, and in that passage
0: with Peter, I mean, earlier on in that passage in the text, he gives Peter. The the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. Now, when Jesus says to Peter later on, Get behind me, Satan, does that mean that Jesus was wrong before and, and had misjudged Peter? No, it's because when Peter said that he believes, then he functions as the gatekeeper of the kingdom. But when he denies the crucifixion, then he functions as the Satan. So, Peter, depending on what he does, functions as a different character or a different metaphor, or however you want to put it, depending on what he's doing in the text. And one's actions then kind of determine at the moment. So that's the other thing. Does If you say that the word two has meaning number 17 here, does that mean then later on, if it has meaning number seven, that it changed its meaning? No. Two in this context meant one thing and two in another context meant another thing. Those may have some relationship to each other. Those meanings may have relationships to each other. But you always have to look at what is it doing how is it functioning? How is it being
1: used? What role does it play in the context? But I think the key is that there's no such thing as what is the essential meaning of the Correct. word too. In the same way, there's no such thing as what is or who is or the essential identity of a character. In other words, ontologically... It's the same individual, Peter, who's functioning differently in two different instances in the text. I think this is difficult for a modern Western audience, which hyper-personalizes everything and which tends to have a very individualistic worldview. I think when you say that Peter could at the same time function in one moment as the servant of the Lord and the next minute as the opponent of the Lord, it creates conflict. I mean, people ask, well, is Peter good or is he bad? Right. To which my answer is the only one who is good is God. And I'm quoting Mm -hmm. Jesus. I'm not making this up. Right. And we either act in accordance with in the text, we act in accordance with the will of God or we don't act in accordance Mm -hmm. with the will of God, which means that in each character in the Bible and by extension in each of the addressees of the Bible who gather to hear these stories, there are contradictions that are inescapable. I mean, Mm -hmm. at one moment we could function in one way, and the next moment another.
0: And I think that's one of the things that makes functionality important but also difficult to wrap our heads around because you can have an individual who is persecuting Christians, but then when that individual goes and serves the needy and takes care of the orphan and the Christian is not, he is Christian and the other person is not. Functionally. Identity and affiliation are not the main point in scripture, but it's the action that one takes.
1: Well, and if you start to acquire a functional mindset where you start to recognize the function of certain behaviors and what they represent in scripture and by extension in the world, right you can also develop a scriptural perspective on one's own religious community because uh-huh. it's easy to mask all kinds of behavior with sacramental terminology with sacred terminology we use words like Jesus Christ the saints the father all this terminology from the bible right. and we think that if we just paint something and cover it up with the word Jesus Christ or the word holy spirit that it somehow changes uh-huh. how that thing or that behavior or that person functions when in fact the opposite is true you can be Talking about Jesus Christ functionally in a secular context all day Mm -hmm. without ever naming Him, and in a religious context, you can be doing all kinds of horrible things under the guise of Jesus Christ. Right. Which is why acquiring this functional mindset is critical to actually having useful discernment Mm -hmm. in everyday life. Right. It's interesting, and I was just
0: reading Joel this morning, and in Joel talks about the problems with sacrifices, and the sacrifices are causing a problem because they're distracting the people from doing the correct thing and asking mercy from God then God takes away everything from them. And it's interesting because in the one case, the sacrifices are causing the people to be sinners because they're no longer taking care of others. In the other instance, the exact same sacrifice is a blessing because it represents the Lord's bounty. And so it causes them to feel gratitude towards the Lord because of what they gave him. So what the Lord had to do to change their mind in order to get them to function differently is he had to take away everything, starve them, And then just to have a little bit of grain for a grain offering was a great blessing. And so then they were grateful for the Lord, and they thanked the Lord, and they repented. But when they had everything that same was causing
1: them to sin. So the sacrifices themselves function differently for the human being. Well, this is, this is what Paul is saying about meat offered to idols in his letter to the Corinthians. Depending on your behavior, it could just be a piece of meat sitting on the plate in front of Venus or Apollo or whatever. But if you're acting as arrogantly and with as much cruelty towards the weaker brother as the patrician who's hosting the sacrifice for Apollo, then for you, very obviously, the meat has other significance. Right. Nothing has changed ontologically with the meat sitting on the table. It's a question of how it functions for you in a particular context. It's worth noting, of course, that this particular term was coined by our professor, the very Reverend Dr. Paul Tarazi, and is a hallmark of his scholarship. And it's so important that those of us who have studied under him can't escape its usage in preaching and everyday discussion of the text. Exactly. No, I mean, in uh, looking a couple Sundays ago when we were doing the Sunday of the
0: Last Judgment and the epistle reading, talks about the importance of fact fasting, if you do fast, it only matters if it's functioning correctly. Yes. If you scandalize somebody through your fasting or not fasting, then you got to stop. So Paul says, I don't need to fast. Ontologically, Paul does not need to fast. He's an apostle. But functionally, if he's going to love the weaker brother who might be scandalized if he doesn't
1: fast, he says, I won't eat meat again. It's such an essential concept, this idea of functionality. And it's something that is very difficult for fundamentalists or legalists to accept, because people want to pin God down. Right? They want to say, look, just tell me what I need to do. Give me a list of actions. Should I fast on Wednesday and Friday? What should I do in preparation for the sacraments? How many times should I go to church? I mean, it's another expression of Pharisaism when people talk this way, because they just want a clear set of rules. And this uh, functionality of the scriptural teaching, this idea of function in scripture, disallows that. It demands of each individual a much higher sensibility for mm-hmm. their behavior. Yeah, much more nuanced Much more nuanced, which is really key not only in improving or cor- improving. no one improves before God right. but in correcting one's behavior on a daily basis, right. but in filtering your self-righteousness in your assessment of other people's behaviors. Right. Because very often something that you deem cruel or you deem incorrect may actually be functioning in service of the gospel. You can't easily discern that. Right. I mean, it's like if you're preaching and you
0: have a room full of people, some of whom have been oppressed, and there's some of them who are the oppressors. When you preach to the room, you have to say, do not oppress the weak. And at the same time, you have to say, oppressed, don't feel sorry for yourself. And so it has to function both ways. You can't say, oh, the moral of the story is right. we have to be nice to each other. Right, because right. then the, the people who are oppressed will say, oh, see, they're not nice to me. I'm nice to other people. No, 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 no. no. It doesn't work that way. The word is always functional, the word is always going to break you down where you need to be broken down, and for each person it's different. Therefore, the word and the sermon has to function differently. This
1: kills, this frustrates the heck out of people who want to have an ethical moral system built mm-hmm. or based on Scripture. Right. There's no ethics or morality in Scripture. Scripture simply opposes you functionally wherever you stand, whatever you're doing. It opposes you. So if you're striving to figure out what's the right way to be and how can I be right, you're going to fail every time. And if you're not acquiring this functional mindset, you're going to see inconsistency and hypocrisy in others' behaviors when when it's not the case. Right. No, in, in the Book of the Twelve, the Gentiles go and attack Israel. And the Lord
0: says, I sent them in order to teach you so that you would learn what it would be to not have security. And they are my hand, they are my instrument being used against you. And then the Lord says, and you Gentiles, for being cruel to my people, you're going to be punished. Now, this seems like God is just being capricious. But the Lord is not being capricious. What he's doing is his word has to function to break down the ego of whoever he happens to be talking to.
1: He's loving both equally as he does in the letter to the Romans. First, Paul puts the Jewish community under judgment. And just when the Gentiles think they're better off than the Jews, he turns and puts the Gentile community under judgment. Now, a Jew looking at a Gentile would say, but look at how they behave, it's so terrible. And a Gentile looking at a Jew would say, look, they have the law, but they're so hypocritical. But scripture doesn't allow that conversation to take place. You know, God is the father who scolds his children and does not allow them to say what the other children are doing because his premise is that you're all under judgment. And that is why scripture is so ruthless in its pedagogy, even in, this, in the stories. It's right. the way that God is so harsh in the way he teaches. Right. No, in my daughter's fight, I say to my older, I say, quit
0: telling your sister what to do. And to my youngest, I say, whatever she tells you to do, do it. But the oldest
1: is arrogant, Papa. No, she's not arrogant. She's doing what I asked her. Exactly. She's fine. You need her to be that tough on you. And to the oldest, you say, go easy on the youngest. Exactly. You play both sides. You don't sit down like parents do today and contact a counselor and hold a court session to decide who's right and who's wrong. If you do that, you are destroying your children. You are making egotistical, self-righteous, entitled human beings. You're both wrong. You're both wrong. It's no big deal. Being wrong is cool. Join the human race. (laughs) Exactly. It's much easier in life to accept that you're wrong, and it's much easier to love others when you realize that you're wrong. Right. So if you're Israel or a Gentile, then you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Got that? Thanks a lot. All right, thanks a lot, Father. Take care.
0: You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.